we hear the word spoken everywhere. Politicians refer to it ad nauseum. Columnists and pundits, talk radio and video personalities parse it to a fairly well. Everyone says we need it, but don't have it. Many say those who think they have it are corrupt. It's commonly held that every arena of life requires it. Business, local communities, schools, churches, families, nations, as well as nearly every individual rely on it for necessary and important outcomes. Many books have been written about it, and new titles appear weekly. An internet search of the word gets more than 450 million hits. The general population believes Congress is bereft of it. More and more universities offer programs dedicated to understanding it, although many people believe it cannot really be taught, and there's little agreement among scholars about its essential nature. One expert has assembled more than 1,500 definitions from the scholarly and popular literature. Have you guessed the word I'm talking about? Leadership. Leadership. Lots of people think they know it when they see it. Most of us would agree that there's a big distinction between people in leadership positions and those in possession of the real thing. It doesn't take us long to figure out that those who are labeled as leaders may or often may not actually have the qualities reflecting our formulations of authentic leadership. And then there's great confusion in our culture about what real leadership actually entails. If we were to have an open discussion about it, everyone participating today, no doubt we'd hear a cacophony of opinions on the matter. Does it concern the possession of certain exceptional qualities? Is it a function of character? For instance, was Hitler a true leader in his time? There's fierce scholarly disagreement on the matter. What about Kim Jong-un of North Korea or Pope Francis, the Dalai Lama? Is authentic leadership available to only relatively few persons? Is it even correct to single out a given individual from his or her context as the leader? Or is leadership really a construct of multiple forces at play in any given environment? Does circumstance create leaders, or is it the other way around? Would Abraham Lincoln have become the great leader many consider him to be without the Civil War, for instance? And what about followership? Are the best leaders also followers, as many experts suggest? Are followers also called to leadership? A growing number of scholars think technology is radically transforming the nature and culture of leadership in the 21st century, perhaps completely dispensing with older models. How does leadership play out in the structures of which you're a part? Your family of origin, for instance. We could probably spend some useful time on that. Or your current family, among your friends, at church, at work, and so forth. Do you consider yourself a leader? And to the degree you would answer yes, is that a function of your essential nature or a role you occupy? And so the questions flow on. A whole leadership industry has sprung up to address these and many more questions, and one wonders whether we're really any wiser for it. 
or as a result, have really trained up any new models and methods. Some critics think the leadership industry is a bust, but everyone is still looking for it. No doubt a lot of you have been through a leadership program of some sort. It would be interesting to collect your opinions about those experiences. Do you think they improved your overall leadership skills? Well, let's walk a little further into this confusion for just a few more minutes. We'll leave all the other current arguments behind for the moment and focus just on the one reference we heard from the passage from Mark you heard a few minutes ago. The brothers James and John asked Jesus to bestow upon them a great honor of position when Jesus finally comes into his full power. They want to be on his right and left hands, as it were, sharing the spoils of identified leaders. The word isn't there in the text, but it sits right below the surface. For one thing, James and John are followers of a leader who they seem to think will be able to deliver some tangible outcome, and they want this leader to give them a share of his power. For another thing, we're told the other ten disciples are angry with them, evidently because James and John were attempting to curry special favor from the leader. In response, Jesus says, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognized as their rulers, or leaders, lorded over them, and their great ones, read leaders, are tyrants over them. Jesus recognizes that the disciples are modeling their request on the way they saw leadership exercised within their larger environment. But he turns this view on its head and says instead, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, though the disciples still didn't really understand what was going on, Jesus was modeling a very different style of leadership in the world that was born of servanthood. In this case, even to the point of offering up his life for the many. And now, here's what I want to say on this. It's quite simple. But then you hear me repeat nearly as a mantra that the simple yet profoundly essential lessons are often the most elusive for us. That's because we are hearing something we'd rather not hear or something that runs counter to our preferred opinion or style. As Mark Twain once wryly observed, most people say they're disturbed by the words of Scripture they do not understand, but I am more disturbed by the words I do understand. <laughs> That speaks truth. That's why it's funny. Jesus taught a completely countercultural form of leadership than was normally practiced in his day. From where I stand, that still seems the case. One of the interesting aspects of all the leadership talk today is that some of the more potent lessons we might learn remain untried by the current generation. Of course, there are new things to learn in every age. But as followers after the way Jesus blazed, and remember that follower is one of those leadership words, 
it seems we ought to pay particular attention to what he has to say on the matter. What we have this morning is nothing short of a mini leadership seminar with Jesus as our mentor. And one of the first things we notice is that he doesn't ask anything of his followers that he doesn't model himself. He says, do what I do, and what I do is what a servant does. I serve people. My leadership is anchored in servanthood. Do that, and you will be a leader. Now, this would seem to suggest that leadership is not restricted to a select few, but to nearly anyone who shared the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Well, we rehearse that all of the time at Christ Church as it's inscribed within our mosaics back there. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Internalizing this rule of life will naturally and organically lead to the sort of servanthood Jesus models. Note what happens if we love God above all else and our neighbors as ourselves. Our lives become directed outward. To love well takes the focus off of our own position and sends it outward in service. Contrary to what we see in a lot of celebrity Christianity today, Jesus doesn't model a narcissistic spiritual practice that's all about me and what I want. Instead, he instructs his followers to find their life by giving it away. This sensibility has undergirded Christ Church's mission over the years at Park and 60, as well as all our outreach efforts across the nation and around the world, including now our investment in Washington Heights, where we've committed to a long-term project of bringing useful service and Christian community in a fresh and meaningful way. It's not popularly acknowledged in our culture that loving well is a kind of work. It requires effort, a willingness to learn new things and take on new responsibilities. As Jesus has it, a willingness to recognize the paradox that true greatness lies in servanthood. And this servanthood takes tangible form through the application of our time, sweat, and material resources. As he reached out healing hands to poor and rich alike, we model our life together in a similar fashion. And in this way, we deepen our understanding of what it means to be a true leader. As the new Ken Burns documentary of Muhammad Ali reminds us, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. At Christ Church, we seek to align ourselves with God's creative energy in the world. Get that right, Jesus says, and you're well on your way to getting life right. Friends, if this is so, we could think of Christ Church as a leadership training center for getting life right. And as the story is written, if the bumbling, self-serving disciples can finally catch on, so can we. And, and we know they did learn the lesson finally, because here we all are, sitting at Jesus' feet.